Hello, and welcome to another episode of Raising a Healthy Family podcast. I am your host, Natalie K. Schwartz. I'm super pumped for today's episode. I have Dr. Ginger Carlson on as my guest. She is incredible. She has the most wild, amazing story through childhood chronic illness to where she is today. She has worked with individuals and organizations around the world. Ginger has written and presented widely on the topics of creativity, growth, and transformation, and how to uniquely and positively nurture each of them in our own personal lives and organizations. At her core, she is a thinker, an educator, and a learner, but most of all, a life alchemist, someone who dares to awaken to life inevitable changes and challenges and takes deliberate action to transform their experience into a new reality. She also is an author of several books and I'm also super excited because she is giving you a chapter to download in her book, Just Add Wonder, Cooking Activities to Nurture and Nourish the Creative Child. This episode, we cover so many things. She shares her story, including how she got healed by the Dalai Lama's doctor on a whim when she was in India. And then also we dive into how to get kids interested in cooking in the kitchen, playing with utensils, using ingredients, how coming together at the dinner table is so powerful and what that means. This episode is so good. I can't wait for you to listen. Let's get into it. Dr. Ginger Carlson, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I think this is going to be such an amazing episode. I would love for you to share your story growing up and sort of what led you to here, what led you to this path in life, this career path. Um, I know you have an incredible story, so I think our, our listeners are going to love it. Yeah, it's been, thank you so much for having me. It's yes. being here and have a, a little sit down with you. Yes. I, my background is really interesting and has taken a lot of turns around the world, really. Um, but it started back in a little ranch town in the Western United States, yeah. which is where I was born and raised. Um, a very much a kind of cattle town. Uh, I was born with um, some pretty severe pulmonary issues and grew up with uh, severe lung deficiency and developed immunity issues, eventually neurological disorder. And I was at one point having hundreds of seizures a day. And, uh, and, and so a lot of my early life is characterized by health challenges. And, and how did your parents know that you were having these health challenges? Oh, uh, it showed up in every aspect of my life, actually. I was alert. I think the paid, the um, list of things that I was allergic to when I eventually, we did like food allergy testing mm-hmm. was like three pages long. So, oh my gosh. Uh, so, I mean, but really from the very beginning, I cried a lot and I had, you know, issues of colic and, um, but also just couldn't breathe. I had multiple times throughout my childhood where I would have to kind of sleep in a bubble um, mm-hmm. like a tent to make sure that I could get enough air and uh, that the air was moist enough. I missed a lot of school. And just from very early on, I was uh, dealt with environmental um, allergies as well as food allergies. And so it just came up in, in every aspect of my life. 
I, I mean, I can only imagine, especially like as a parent, which I know we're both parents too, to see your kid going through that, I think would have to be so hard and, and so confusing. Um, but okay, so then your parents, you notice all of these things going on and then what sort of what happens next? Yeah, I I think in a lot of ways they tried to find conventional ways to treat it. Uh, my mom says from a, that I was about five years old when I started uh, not wanting to eat the meat that was being served at the table. Uh And it was, you know, kind of from a very young age that I started uh, naturally pushing away the things that didn't feel good in my body, even though like I wasn't allowed to eat things like milk and wheat and things like that, that we knew were triggers for my body, eventually ended up I was treated by the Dalai Lama's personal physician. Yes. (laughs) I mean, what? I, I, you know, like I, that is just such a crazy thing, you know, turn of events. Uh, So how, I would love for you to share, like, how did that come about? Like, were you at the mall or like, how do you run into the Dalai Lama's physician? And then it was was really, it was such a, it's such a fun story, but you know, I mean, I, had had all this these challenges health wise. I had, that followed you through a, to adulthood, correct? Okay. I was eventually diagnosed with epilepsy. Okay. I was told by a neurologist that I was having hundreds of seizures a day, and so with hundreds of seizures a day, you are uh, have severe gaps in consciousness. You know, mm-hmm. and even though they're like thirty seconds to two minutes long each episode throughout the day. I was missing tons of content mm-hmm. in school. I was I was just constantly struggling with uh, not understanding what was going on, missing having gaps in conversations. So eventually, got on some uh, Western medicine that treated me. I went through multiple different kinds of iterations of what the medicine was that the doctors were prescribing to me, but. Uh, Eventually, I uh, decided, I realized, you know, I just need to be on this medicine so that I can maintain it, so that I can live some semblance of life, so I can Mm -hmm. drive a car, so I can go to university, so I can live a life. And I eventually kind of overcame all of those things Mm -hmm. and built a career and uh, that I'm very proud of, but early career, in the early parts of that career, I was living uh, overseas, and so my husband and I were traveling. We went traveling to India, and we, it was like our dream to go to India together. And Uh so we ended up in northern India, in Dharamsala, which is where the Dalai Lama lives in exile. And we went into, so we were just walking around the town, and we ended up in the um, Tibetan museum of that, I think it's called the, uh, Tibetan Astrological and Medical Museum. Okay. And inside of the museum, it's just filled with all the Tibetan minerals. And kind of across the room, there was this little um, rock is all I can say it was, you know, yeah. accompanied by a very small kind of um, fortune cookie sized paper that, and and it kind of drew me from across the room and I walked over to it and it said, cures epilepsy on this oh little my God. 
size piece of paper sitting Isn't underneath. Isn't that just insane? <laughs> I mean, like, I think like I have goosebumps. Like you think about like universal, like things get put in your path for a reason. I'm such a firm believer in that. So incredible. Okay, go on. And in my work, I talk about the art of allowing and as a skill and how we're developing this allowing of, of how the universe shows up for us yes, and, and to allow that, but also to answer that when it comes. Right. And so I walked across the room and I saw this and I said to the curator of the museum, how do I get some of that? Yeah. <laughs> I had been struggling for so many years uh, with different health challenges, but the epilepsy at that point was um, the one that was most showing up in my life. I had just been told by my neurologist that, you know, it was going to be difficult to have a child uh, with, while on the medication that I was on mm-hmm. because the medication that I was on specifically caused spina bifida in unborn oh. children. And so, so that was weighing heavily on me and it was just, you know, just the ability to drive and be and, and have show up in a very conscious way because you're, when you have gaps in consciousness, it makes it difficult to really attend and, um, and be in life. Yes. So, so she said to me, you know, well, why do you ask, you know, we don't have epilepsy in our culture and, and because yeah. we know how to cure it, she said. Oh and gosh. and so I told her my story and she said, come with me. And she walked me across the town to a little, small little yeah. house kind of that was a do- happened to be a doctor's office. Oh my gosh. And they sat and listened to my pulse and looked at my tongue and, and said, after some minutes of, of quiet, Mm-hmm. They looked me right in the eye and said, "You need to get off the Western medicine." Mm-hmm. And so I did a round of about four months of daily Tibetan minerals, about five times a day, and then on the new and full moon, a different mineral. Uh-huh. And after about four months, I was able to half my epilepsy medication in. Uh, and I wasn't having seizures. And so oh my God. it was um, right around that time I became pregnant with my first oh. child. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I'm like, so I get so emotional. I just love that. That is amazing. Yeah, it, it was. Thank you. <laughs> it was a, it was, it's been a really interesting journey. And then heading back to uh, the United States the next summer and I met with my neurologist as I always did. Uh-huh. And, and the year before he had said, you will, you will have epilepsy for life. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something we thought you would grow out of, but you know, you're 25 now and you aren't going to grow out of this. It's going to continue to be with you. And so then the year later I went back and said to him, uh, you know, I went through the scans as normal about the yeah. same thing, but I had been treated ever since then with the Tibetan minerals and was tapering off of them. And, and I wasn't using any epilepsy medication. Okay. So at this point you're <laughs> pregnant, you're using zero of the Western epilepsy medicine. Yeah. Okay. And, and I go in and he said, well, well, this is fascinating. You're not having any seizure activity. And, and I had had it ever since I, they think since I was about nine, but I had yeah. the, um, the diagnosis at 11. And he says, uh, you know, this, this is fascinating. You've, you've grown out of it. 
And I said, no, actually, let me tell you what I've been doing, you know? Oh, my gosh, was he dying? He said, I don't believe it. (laughs) He said, no, you grew out of it. And I was like, but a year earlier, you said that I would never. Yeah, yeah. With me, and now I have no seizure activity. And I was able to get a license and begin driving again. Oh, my gosh, how amazing. Had a healthy, happy baby. Yes. And I, and I, and I want to segue into that. So you have, how many kids do you have? I have two. Two, right? Okay. Yeah. I know we both have two. Okay. So you have kids and you've been vegetarian for how many years at this point when you have kids? I have been vegetarian now for 30, going on 31 years. Okay. So you're vegetarian and then you have kids and as kids grow and become toddlers and get picky and all the things, like I really want to dive into that. Like how was your experience raising vegetarian kids? Because I know a lot of times for for the listeners of this this podcast and, and moms everywhere, right? Like we would love, like give us the tools, the tips to get kids to eat more vegetables. And so I'd love to know sort of like how that was raising them. Yeah. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about because um, I think food and children and families just go, there's so much kind of uh, embroiled in it together. It's it's a way we connect with each other. The kitchen table is a, is just a place that, where people gather, come together, learn about each other, process things, connect, you know? And so we can't separate food and our food choices uh-huh. from that opportunity. And it, it's just such a powerful place to develop creativity and thinking. And so for my kids, you know, they have, I had vegan pregnancies. Uh, I'm not vegan now, but I, I, do have some dairy and I eat eggs now and but I did have vegan pregnancies and um vegetarian children and my children have always been vegetarian until my uh older one has decided to to include some sources Uh of meat products in their diet and I'm and it's been a really interesting journey because for me, it is not about whether or not they have certain, eat certain things, consume certain things in their body, have certain amounts of whatever it is that we have served them, but that they approach that and everything else in their life consciously. You know, mm-hmm. so whether it is the way that they are um, choosing to, what snacks they're choosing to eat or what you know, what they're, what's on their dinner table or what profession they do mm-hmm. to meet all similar kinds of skills, you know, to how we interact with each other and how, and what we choose to do in our lives. And so yeah. to me, the, the kitchen and the dinner table or the snack table is, and actually all of the meals offer us such a powerful opportunity to develop those skills. When you have young kids and you're, you know, being intentional with them in the kitchen and at the dinner table and stuff like that, how are you getting them involved in the kitchen? What is it, what is that also then teaching them for life? I know that there's like a bigger meaning for you behind that, but like, um, 
I think it's like, yes, like what, it, how do you get them involved in that process? Yeah, it's so, it, it starts so simple. I mean, it's so easy with toddlers really to get them involved in the kitchen because water is so fun. Yes. Um, there's so many, one of the things that I'll share with your listeners is uh, a piece of a book that I wrote called Just Add Wonder. And yes, it's, and it's the cutest it, cover. It's actually my daughter's hand on that cover. Is it? Oh my god! <laughs> when she was when she was a very little person. Uh, so it's and the subtitle is "Cooking Activities to Nurture and Nourish the Creative Child," and one of the things that I find is that uh, kids are fascinated by the tools that we use in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. And so I call. Oh it yes, my two-year-old literally walks around the house with the tongs. He pulls <laughs> them out of the drawer. He's obsessed with them. There and I'm. <laughs> always has the metal tongs. I'm like, oh my God, please don't cut yourself. So I will, I will share a specific piece then with you because there's, um, there's a section in the book about like the different kinds of, um, tools that we use and different utensils and lots of different ideas in there for getting kids to explore with it. And I think that's the thing is like him, um, being excited about using the tongs is going to make him more likely to eat the salad because he's so obsessed with the tongs, mm-hmm. like giving him that opportunity to explore with it and understand and then make connections to, like, I like to make connections to nature a lot. And so the tongs are, you know, kind of, uh, there's so many connections with the tools that we use and um, birds and how they eat mm-hmm. and, like the hummingbird and the way they eat, um, they like you could use a dropper, and that is like the way the hummingbird eats. Yeah, longs are very much like the way a toucan eats, okay. and there's like there's yeah. so many ways that we can connect that and make it so fun and a learning experience. Yes. Now I used to it really encourage my kids to explore with um, with ingredients, and so. We used to make a lot of juice and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, my older one in particular just loved making juice. And so, you know, you can add beets and carrots to juice and yeah. it doesn't taste like a beet or carrot. It's, you know, and even though carrots are like the sweetest thing on, it's like eating candy, yeah. <laughs> you know, give it to them. Yeah. But but you can even get cucumbers and spinach into them and kale in different ways. And so I actually have, I can share that with you too, an article called um, Totally Smoothie that is really about not just getting the kids to eat the veggies because that's that's all a really important piece. We want to make sure that they're doing that. Yeah. And they can also become more creative and more exploratory which makes them more adventurous in their choice of food when they mm-hmm. see it as a partner and not something that is being forced upon them. Right? Uh, I love that you put that together like that, like seeing it as an adventure, something that they're part of and not something that's being forced on them. Because as we all know, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, five-year-old, you know, they're like not about the forcing thing. If they want it to be their idea, on their terms, you know, so I, I love that getting them involved in the kitchen and using the utensils and, and different ingredients and that whole process, um, I think is so important. And I think that's a way 
too that I share with moms is like one of the secrets of getting your kids to eat more vegetables is to get them cooking with you because kids who have a hand in cooking in the kitchen are more likely to try the food that they help prepare. Um, I'm sorry. No, go, 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 go. I, I actually read that it takes a child that is mostly about texture when a child won't eat a certain food. And so it's not that they don't want to eat the food or if I, you know, sometimes hear parents say like, oh, my child won't eat broccoli, but they've only really tried it once or twice or three times. Right. Uh-huh. It actually takes a child 10 exposures with that vegetable for it to feel palatable to them. And I so- love that you said that because <laughs> I feel the same way. And I always share that. I always, even if the kids like Tommy, my two-year-old pushes Brussels sprouts away, we have them every week, but I always still introduce them. I always put a little bit on his plate and probably, I don't know, after the 15th time he's pushed them away, he decided to try one. And he freaking loved them. He ate his, he ate his brothers, you know, so I always to encourage parents, like, don't get discouraged if they're like, ugh, you know, push it away. Yuck. I don't like, because just keep re don't, don't make a big deal about it. If they don't, you know, or go, you need to eat this, but just observe them and keep reintroducing. Yeah. And one tip I would offer about it also is that, uh, it's a, it's kind of a sad thing to me when I hear parents say, um, you have to clear your plate, you know, or yes. you have to take five more bites even. And the reason I say that, and, and I know that it's something that a lot of parents do, but I would um, invite some questioning about it for the simple reason that something that you mentioned, their autonomy with it and being able to grow and have my choices as a human being honored, but not just my choices as a human being being honored. What I know feels right in my body. And so as oh, we, I love yes, that. And, and that was really important to me because so you talked a little bit about earlier about my journey and my parents and how they handled things. And I think, I mean, it was really a challenge for them. And especially when I said, announced that I was going to become vegetarian, they were, I think that what <laughs> happens for people is, you know, I mean, they were, uh, on a side, cattle ranchers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know? And so I think we have to be really clear that it's not a question of, of our our, our children are not questioning our value system necessarily mm-hmm. when they're honoring their own system or refusing a certain type of food. You know, my my children sometimes don't eat the things that, like I love sweet potatoes and I love Brussels sprouts as well. Yeah. It's not, my, my kids don't necessarily like them. I don't, yeah. I don't take it as a personal affront when they don't eat them. Yes, yeah. yes. But I think going back to the idea that, um, how important it was for my parents to just honor that I knew that something was happening in my body health-wise that hadn't yet been identified with Mm -hmm. food allergies with, you know, eventually the medical system was able to do enough testing to figure out what was going on with Mm me. But had I been trained and told I had to eat and, and there were moments when they were like, you have to eat something because you're going to waste away. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, for sure. 
But but that honoring of me listening to my body kept me in touch with my body so that I could eventually get to a point where I could heal and know what it feels like to feel good. Yes. Yes. I love that. I think that that's very powerful and I'm glad that you elaborated and shared that um, with them pushing stuff away. Because I know that sometimes I think that with kids, you're like, okay, I know you could probably eat more, just take, you know, five more bites. Or I always get anxious when I hear like, clear, you need to clear your plate. You need to finish everything on your plate because I know that that is subconsciously being downloaded in them. And then that's going to show up later in life and they're going to have weird issues with food and sometimes can lead to privately binging on food or feeling really not comfortable, not fluid with, with eating and with nurturing their body. So I do think that, um, I do think that that's really powerful. Yeah. And we are the most obese nation on the planet. Yes. I mean, we have a very unhealthy relationship with food and a lot of that has to do with marketing and 100% and the way that we consume things. And so one, actually, can I offer another tip? Yes. Yeah. No, that's what, that's what the audience loves, like tangible (laughs) tips. Yeah. So uh, another tip that I would offer actually, and maybe it's really just about the way that we're approaching our consumption in in a conscious way. And so like we have, it doesn't, you know, some of the first symbols that a a child will become acquainted with are those of our fast food industry because Mm -hmm. of just being in the car. Um, The marketing is so savvy, right? And it's Mm -hmm. marketed specifically to children. And so we have to help them learn to navigate those things. And so one thing that we did as a family when my children were young, and even still today, now that my youngest is a teenager, is being really conscious about what we're going to purchase at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And so when we go to the grocery store, um, we actually don't do any impulse buying. So before we go into the store, we say, what do you want on the list? And yeah. and so sometimes that means that we're choosing things that are like, you know, sweets or treats or things like that, mm-hmm. but it's a conscious decision. It's yes. not we're at the checkout counter and we see this thing. Oh, can I get this thing too? And so what we always did, the conversation always was, what do you want on the list? And we would go into the store and it, and we would see something and we would say, if that's important next time, Let's put it on the list. And so so that is a good tool because I think that saves a lot. They always put the shit food at the checkout line too. You know, I mean, it's like, what is happening? Right. And so I think what happens is that it, it gives the child, like it honors that they want that thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and maybe we can get that next time. And so we'll have a conversation about it. It doesn't mean that you're saying, no, 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 you can't have it. Yes. But it also, so it honors what they want, but it also has them like thinking about like, what it, what do I want it for? And do I still want it? And is that the most important thing that I want? And so often my kids will say, um, what do I want on the list? Can we get mangoes? Like, <laughs> you know, and it's the like sweet special thing mm-hmm. because 
because we didn't get it last time, even though the ice cream sounds pretty good too, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so what do you, what's one tip or piece of advice? So say a family is eating, you know, pretty much the standard American diet and processed foods seem to sort of be a go-to. What's one tip or piece of advice to sort of get the family back into either cooking together or that sort of connection where they're inviting the kids into that space? Yeah, I I think, I mean, there's so many tips around kind of inviting kids to the space. And then one of the number one things uh, about students and achievement and whether or not they had a good middle school experience, which is a really powerful time in a child's life, uh, mm-hmm. is whether or not the family ate together. That's like one of the one of the indicators of success in uh, teenagers is whether or not their families sit down and have a conversation together. And so one tip is that um, having the children be involved in the meal planning in some way so that okay. they feel that there's some, you know, honoring of what I want, but also in, in um, what tastes good to me, but also that they see themselves as part of a community, your family community that yes. is an important contributor, you know, mm-hmm. that, I, that, that just because mom and dad like this thing, I also get to be able to choose something that's important to me. Oh, I, I, I like that. Cause I struggle right now with my five-year-old. He's, you know, into everything and I'm con and he's a two-year-old brother and he doesn't want to share, you know, so I constantly feel like I'm telling Jack, no, don't do that. Or let's not do that, you know? And so I, I know that that has nothing to do with food, but it, it does allow in that space to invite him in to be like, Hey, you're opinion matters, like your voice matters. Like, I want you to be included in this, like in our family unit where you're safe and you're part of it. And this community, I think that that is really special. Yeah. I think we tend to, we, we tend to, as parents use, like, don't do that as a go-to because it just feels like you want to keep them safe and, and you want that thing to break, you know? And so one kind of reframe for that is showing them what they should, can do, or an, uh, an alternative. You yeah, know? I've been trying to be like, instead of doing this, let's do this. Like, instead of hitting your brother upside the head, like, let's try not to do that, you know? Um, but yes, no, I, I totally agree. Um, one last thing I kind of wanted to touch on, too, was how do you get kids interested in eating more plant-based food? Uh, I know we kind of touched on that, like part of like getting them involved in the kitchen and and, in continuing to reintroduce stuff until the texture feels good for them. Maybe that can take 10 times, but is there anything that you did with your kids or you, you've seen that helps them sort of get more into like the, the plant foods? Yes. And I'm, I'm going to say actually that removing other foods is one of the best ways because if what you have available are apples, oranges, bananas, uh, cucumbers, yes, um, if if that's what's available and around. So one thing that 
I always used to have around is I would do a muffin tin mm-hmm. and, and leave it out for, because especially little children need to graze a little bit throughout the day. Yeah. And I would always have like little pieces of cucumber and carrots and um, maybe some muffins that we made in the morning that like, you know, just yeah. little pieces so that there are only like you know, what fits in the, in a small muffin tin. Yeah. And so that kind of um, made it is so that it was available and around. And the other thing is like, there are certain kinds of foods that we always have eaten that made it so that the, the kids are involved in the preparation and the cooking of it for themselves. But but it's not like a full big meal that they can p- kind of pick and choose and get comfortable with lots of different agree- ingredients. So one is um, we've we've always been like a soup family, you know, yeah. twice a week having soup because there's a lot of easy ways to, um, you know, it's like the sneaky mama's trick, you know, that yeah. you can sneak in whatever it is to a soup, mm-hmm. right? But uh, doing things like I, I, I like to make sushi from scratch because it's easy to do and you just do a pot of rice and have nori and chop up all the little veggies and then the kids are, you know, put it there and roll it up and um, yeah. make it themselves. Same with burritos, same with um, yeah. individual pizzas. Uh, oh, that's yeah. a good idea to do like a little individual pizza. I know Trader Joe's does little tiny cauliflower crusts that are individual size you can buy and then each person can make their own pizza. Yeah. And so what I found is that having kids come to the table with their, with their own starting place rather than coming up to the table. Like I would, I wouldn't like that as an adult now being like, go to wherever it is that I'm eating and just be served something. It's okay once in a while. And it's great. It's wonderful. You know, it's like a surprise now, but the fact that I have input into my own, what I'm going to put in my body yeah, really important. And so, and I think that is the case then when they're little as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was Perfect, perfect, perfect. And I know that you are so kind and so generous. You're going to offer the listeners a chapter that they can download from your book. Um, Do you want to share a little bit on that? Sure. Actually, so the book is called Just Add Wonder, and I've written um, multiple books. And and it's interesting because the work that I do now is mostly with adults around, you know, uh, learning to be more flexible, but I really believe that our flexibility and our the way that we take our challenges and changes in our life and embrace that and are able to transform it in different ways for the directions that we move in our lives is the model that is going to impact our next generation. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, what we do as adults and the choices we do and the conversations that we have and how we invite that is really important. And so the the chapter is actually called Thinking Outside the Recipe, and it has sections on creative um freedom in the family kitchen, inviting creativity to come to your table, which is you know, just an interesting way to look at how we talk about all of the tools that are available to us, you know, Mm -hmm. in our food. 
and, and how we talk about it with each other. And then there's a section about gadgetology, which is, you know, the science yeah. of, of kind of experimenting and the tools that we have um, available to us and just about some free exploration in the kitchen and what that can look like for families with young kids. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so much. That was amazing and so informative. And I will link that downloadable link in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much, Ginger, for coming on. I so appreciate it. And this was just such an important conversation to have. Thank you. It's such a joy to be with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Raising a Healthy Family podcast. I am your host, Natalie K. Schwartz. You can find more of me at nataliekschwartz.com. You can follow me on Instagram at Natalie K. Schwartz. And I am so happy you're here. Thank you for continuing to listen and support the show. Any information from today's show will be in the show notes. Thanks for following along.